Hello and welcome to the Sky Time Podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the podcast that promotes Sky and profiles the people that drive the island's economy. It's also a celebration of Sky's vibrant history, culture and environment and aims to gently persuade visitors to spend more time, get off the beaten track and experience more of what our island has to offer. This week, as we come to the end of October and the end of the much-truncated 2020 tourist season, it's time to take stock and examine where our tourism industry is, how it's going to survive the winter, and how it's going to plot a path to recovery in 2021. In fact, at the end of last week, the Scottish Tourism Recovery Task Force published its recommendations. To discuss that and much more, I'm joined once again on the podcast by the Chief Executive of the Scottish Tourism Alliance, Mark. Crothall. Welcome back to the podcast, Mark. Hi, Simon. Great to be back. Thank you for inviting me. Now, firstly, we spoke very early on in the crisis, around the start of lockdown, in fact. Looking back now, could you ever have imagined that we wouldn't be in a much better position by the end of October? Uh, Well, I certainly didn't envisage ourselves being where we are right now. I had uh, honestly hoped we'd be uh, in a better position as we head towards Christmas. But uh, I didn't think we'd be completely clear, but certainly in a much stronger position than we are right now. You speak to businesses of all sizes all across the country. Give me a sense of the, the mood as they exit the 2020 tourism season. Well, my, my biggest concern right now is that I'm sensing there is a, a, a growing uh, or a significant increase in, in, in mental health concerns and issues rising. Um, people are absolutely on a knife edge still, despite the uh, huge amount of support that has been made available to the majority of the sector, and that's not all. There are many who haven't had any. Uh, the relief of furlough was obviously huge, and then the pivotal grants came, But and then they borrowed money, and we had an upturn through Eat Out to help out, and a bit of nice weather. But gradually, as the restrictions have started to come in on us again, and the dark days have arrived, People are looking at the bank balances and they're wondering how they're going to get through these next few months with tighter restrict- restrictions coming into play and, and no more revenue. And, and balancing those books is causing uh, real deep concern and, and, and that mental health worry, uh, not just of the owners of these businesses, but having many of them having had to go through letting staff go, which is traumatic in itself, but also the many people who we now find, unfortunately, in, in an unemployed position and not knowing whether or not, uh, even if coming back off furlough, that there will be a job for them uh, in six months' time. What are the emotions from business owners around the time and, more importantly, the money that they spent getting themselves COVID safe as we exited lockdown in the summer? Well, I think, you know, the amount of money that has been spent by the industry, I I was on a call yesterday, and I think it's roughly in the region of £80 million that's been spent by businesses in Scotland on making themselves COVID safe. Uh, And and no one, uh, Jason Leach and many other politicians, have actually said anything other than, you know, the industry have done a superb job in doing all they can in making their, their, their businesses safe and secure. So to now have further restrictions imposed on our sector when you have invested that heavily uh, and and finding ourselves in this position where we're not really seeing any movement forward in a positive way is is hugely frustrating. There are questions being asked, well, what more can we do? 
and uh, it's important, of course, to continue to get the message out to our um, communities that you know our, our places of, of, of hotels and restaurants they are safe places to be. They are actually safer than many many other places you know uh, that we see now um, in in our day to day life or we visit in our day to day life. Yet we're being penalised, and that, of course, you know, there's no return on that investment of eighty million in a nutshell. You mentioned the furlough scheme. It ends this weekend. Do you think we're going to see a tsunami of redundancies in the sector in the next few weeks? Um, I I do. I think without question that there are certain parts of our uh, industry or um, businesses across Scotland where there is literally no sign of positive light of recovery in the short to medium term. Uh, Our cities in particular have, have taken a huge, huge brunt of the the pain uh, hotel occupancies in city centres, which obviously Central Belt likely to be in the tier three level for a few weeks longer, if, if not beyond Christmas, unless uh, there was major change in, in the R rate number. Uh, they are the largest employers, and of course they're the ones who've obviously had to let go the, the greatest amount of staff. But uh, you know, many of the, our, our rural businesses as well have had hung on to some fantastic talented staff as well in the hope that there would be a bit more in the in the winter months to come. And uh, I don't see the job support scheme being one that can really give uh, the comfort to the majority to, to keep them much longer. Not even with the changes that the government has brought into the job support scheme? You don't see that helping? Well, there's a lift, but the support package isn't enough. I mean, if you're not making any money, you have to be making money still to to be able to you know, compensate and support those businesses. Now, you know, and also to qualify for the full package of support on this scheme, you have to be forced, forcefully closed under the tier structures. Uh, and the way the tier structures are right now is that no business in real terms is actually being forced closed to full closure um, within tier three and below. So, um, you know, that, that doesn't give you the, the full access to the support. And, and to be honest with you, the support that's on offer uh, and that has been made available within the constraints of the of the Perth Scottish Government have right now is is, is just a drop in the ocean. Um, an average pub uh, licensed premises uh, costs around £10,000 a month just to stay in its fixed overhead. We know from previous workings that the average hotel fixed cost, i.e. no revenue coming in, is £60,000 a month. So when you end up with uh, £3,000 worth of uh, grant support, uh, we know it's obvious to see that that's not going to suffice. Um, and there will be um, you know, many businesses that will have to have take some tough decisions. A lot of businesses might have been hoping that we might see a, a bright Christmas and restrictions would be lifted. But given the introduction of the tiered system and the likelihood of areas moving in and out of different tiers, how can businesses conceivably plan for Christmas New Year? One of the reasons I was slightly late in joining you on this call um, was uh, making that specific point again uh, to Fergus Ewing before um, he heads into another meeting with his colleagues today, and to uh, we've, we've we've highlighted it in our forums of the, over the last couple of days, to which Willie Rennie and Oliver Mundell and Claire Baker from the opposition parties attended about this travel restriction. If there is a, a travel restriction that doesn't permit those people who've booked short breaks or holidays from traveling outside their tier three areas and authority areas into um, the tier two areas, 
it pretty much wipes out any benefit or any hope of those tier two properties and below of, of having a, a solid Christmas. And, you know, obviously the, with a slight ray of light of relaxed restrictions in those tier, tier two areas coming from the first minister yesterday, I think there was a boost in confidence, but this could wipe all of that potential benefit out and much, much more. Uh, and Christmas will be, um, you know, dead in the water for many. And it's a time where, you know, I think everybody will need a bit of, and would want a bit of light relief and a bit of festive cheer. And there's certainly been some great innovation by some uh, hotel owners and operators to make sure that they can still deliver a safe Christmas. But uh, if the travel restriction is, you know, uh, one that says you can't go anywhere, then clearly that's not going to happen either. And it would be absolutely disastrous. But even setting aside travel restrictions, the very fact that an area could one week be in tier one, the next week be in tier three, depending on how COVID cases go, that's bound to hit consumer confidence. And and people just might not even bother planning a getaway because of the uncertainty. Yeah, we, we, we've had that conversation, Simon, in, in some detail with, with the government officials around, you know, the frequency of, of likely change from tier to tier. The, the government have said that they will be reviewing on a weekly basis uh, the intelligence and the insights from the clinicians, etc. Um, but I think we've also highlighted that the cost of moving uh, from tier to tier uh, to a business is, is really significant, both from the switch on, switch off of, of business and supply chain and everything else, but also, as you say quite rightly, the, the consumer confidence that, that, that the likelihood is that people will just refrain from taking a chance with the unknown. But um, I, I think um, that has been un- understood. And in realistic terms, it's, it's unlikely, so we're told, that any business will move from a, a tier to a, or certainly go backwards for at least two to three weeks. Um, we're told, obviously, you know, to see the benefit of any restriction coming through in a scientific way, it takes that amount of time at least to see that, um, those results. So, and the grants, of course, are being paid out on a four-week basis. So I think if you're in tier three, um, you're likely to be in it for at least four weeks. Um, but at least if you're monitoring it on a weekly basis, being transparent with where those measurements are going and is what we're asking for. So businesses can at least in some way have a bit of a good indication as to whether or not they're going to be moved downwards, preferably. Uh, but um, worst case scenario, going up would be a real challenge. I mentioned at the start the Scottish Tourism Recovery Task Force has published its recommendations. Who's been involved in that task force and and how has it gone about its business? Well, the task force is really the fourth part of the uh, the Sturg plan, really. We as the Scottish Tourism Alliance requested as part of a recommendation to government that the task force was formed. And it came together um, around the beginning of August and the composition of 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 the group itself is very broad uh, from with the representation of approximately 40 business leaders from across all sectors of the industry um, and again across all geographies of the industry in addition to colleagues from uh, u- the unions uh, from the transport sector the ac- academia uh, the, the obviously the enterprise agencies as well as visit scotland so it's been chaired by fergus ewing our tourism minister uh, alongside uh, jamie hepburn the business and skills minister but three core work streams have been uh, really led under the umbrella of the task force itself, 
One focusing on demand. Uh, so how do we make sure we can continue to stimulate demand, get people here into Scotland uh, as we seek to recover and come through? And that's looking, of course, at both domestic and international markets, what needs to be done. And Malcolm Ruffhead uh, from Visit Scotland was clearly the right person to lead that work stream. Uh, another work stream, which is, again, critically important, uh, particularly at this time, is an investment work stream. Uh, and that was being championed and led by Malcolm Buchanan, who is chair of the Royal Bank of Scotland board, CEO or MD of Royal Bank of Scotland, but also um, he is, the, I think, the vice chair of the Scottish Financial Enterprise uh, Trade Body. Uh, and within that stream, you know, we've looked at, uh, we know many, many businesses have, have borrowed significantly. And I think Malcolm was on a, a webinar the other day quoting something in the region of £20 billion has been lent by Scottish banks to tourism and hospitality. And clearly that is high risk now, given where we're at. Dirt borrowing is, is, is a real drag on everybody's balance sheet. So how could we find ways to better free up that cash to allow the capital um, to still flow through uh, and businesses can invest and reinvest into their asset to make be, be competitive? Uh, and, and again, the other key area of investment would be investment into infrastructure. So we know that with the, the rise in staycation and the, the, the impacts we've seen with camping, caravanning, our rural infrastructure development fund has been absolutely essential. Um, it's been good, but it's not good enough for, for the future. So conversations there. And then the third work stream, which I've championed with um, many of our colleagues from, from the Tourism Alliance trade bodies, has been looking at business recovery. Uh, and workforce recovery, what's been needed, what are the interventions that we would want to see from both Scottish and UK governments uh, by way of policy change, taxation change, um, to enable businesses to be more sustainable. Um, and a set of recommendations have been put forward into um, the document. Uh, and underneath that work stream as well has been looking at workforce recovery. So how can we uh, make sure we retain and hang on to our, the best of our talent wherever possible and then look at the job support schemes and things to get people back into employment and, and reskilled and trained. So it's a very concise and thorough report. Um, the output of the report itself is, uh, I think, a 65-page long document that uh, will go to the Scottish Cabinet uh, for consideration. It's there to influence uh, future budget thinking um, and it's timeline for, it, it sets out a, a pathway really of recovery over the next 18 to 24 months to segue us back into our national tourism strategy aims and objectives, which uh, I had the pleasure of presenting when up in Sky in March at the Vegans. But, you know, it's a rocky road. But at the front end of the document, first and foremost, it very much focuses on the immediate tasks of government to get us through what is with isn't a recovery period it's still very much a, a rescue period so um detailed input uh as i say from all sectors uh, a variety of destinations rural businesses small businesses large businesses uh the event sector the transport sector so um i i think it's been a, a very thorough detailed piece of work and it's now been handed over to the sterg to uh, formulate the action plan that will we'll take forward the delivery of the recommendations, as long as we hope Scottish and UK governments will endorse it. Given that the task force was chaired by Fergus Ewing, does that give you quite a lot of hope that at least the Scottish government element of the recommendations and demands will be adopted? 
I would very much hope so. And again, I say it was uh, not just Fergus, it was co-chaired with Ed Hepburn as well. So uh, he, he asked um, the uh, task force to be bold uh, and not, you know, peg it back. I think we all know how important is tourism is to the Scottish economy. And, you know, we, we positioned our, our sector as a solution to recovery. We're a driver. And um, I think, you know, it's it's... The, the outcomes and the, the way we've shaped the plan it is aligned to the four key priority areas of a tourism strategy that has already been endorsed by the Scottish Government, focusing uh, around the priority areas of people, experience, business and investment with a very much a sustainable green lens as well. You're demanding evidence-based restrictions linked to fair compensation. Are you confident that the government can justify and, and provide the evidence that hospitality needs to be restricted as much as it has been and is going to be? From the conversations that we've we've had with Jason Leach, um, he was very uh, good in attending a, a webinar that we ran a few weeks ago. Um, he was on a call with us the other day. And of course, uh, this time you'll be aware that the hospitality trade bodies have taken um, some uh, guidance from the uh, legal office to pursue this matter in particular. What um, Jason has, has said is it is difficult for them to provide hard fact evidence that would demonstrate that causation of, of COVID has happened within a hospitality environment. The evidence that they are, however, using is based on the the insights that they gather in from interviews from the track and trace uh, process. So um, you, you're going through the system, you're testing positive, you're being asked where you have been over your last seven days. Uh, and, you know, they are saying within the uh, interview process, um, you know, a vast percentage uh, of those pe- people have been in a form of a hospitality environment and therefore the assumption or the, the decisions are being based that people are going into areas where there is a, a mass gathering or a gathering of people, they are more likely to uh, to, to be a, a spreader, uh, but they're not necessarily likely to have uh, got the infection from within that establishment based on the, the uh, compliance and the investments that the, uh, the industry has made. But the questions aren't asked about, um, or, you know, the, the track and trace, you don't have a track and trace in the supermarket. You don't have a track and trace and you're not going to say to somebody, oh, I've been at a house party. Um, you know, and only today we've heard that 3,000 house parties have, taken, have been uh, called to uh, this very month. So uh, once again, you know, I think there's a strong um, disappointment that the industry, the hospitality industry is, is having to bear the brunt of, 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 of other sectors, other behaviours and other areas of the economy. Uh, and society as a whole, which, uh, again, given this, this grants that are being made available, it's very disproportionate to um, the, the burden of cost and the, the, the loss that the businesses are about to face. So in light of that, you're asking for grant support to cover six to nine months for businesses that, that have not been able to trade well enough during this period. Have you calculated what that might cost? It's, it's a very sizable number and it goes a long way further than the 700 million that the Scottish Government has at its disposal right now. As a rough average from a hotel perspective, we did a piece of research back in the April time looking at this very matter. If you were to be closed, um, the average cost of a hotel across Scotland is 60, running cost is £60,000 a month. That's with no revenue, 
and nobody in it. That's just paying the rent and uh, subscription fees, etc., that you are due. So that's everything from a Turnberry hotel to the smallest hotel. 2,000 plus hotels in Scotland. Uh, that's before you get to, of course, all your other operations who are impacted. Um, the uh, EICC in Edinburgh is £150,000 a week. The uh, Blair Drummond Safari Park feeding of animals, £50,000 a month. Uh, the Royal Yacht Britannia, I believe, has got an overhead of about 370000 a month for the Royal Yacht and uh, Fingal. And the rent alone on the, the Radisson Blue in the Royal Mile and the George is £700,000. So those are the scales, numbers that we're talking about. Um, and £3,000 is, uh, is, is the figure of grants that the Radisson Blue would get on its rateable assumption. And on top of that, Simon, what's really important and not to be forgotten is that there are many of our tourism businesses who are not in the domestic rate structure uh, and uh, right now are not being um, falling into the grant system either, bed and breakfast operators to um, adventure tour guides, etc., or adventure tour operators as well. So they'll have to be compensated for in some way, shape or form. So... Um, the ask is significant. We know, and it's been said by the Chancellor, and I think you know anybody in their right mind will fully appreciate and understand, we can't save everybody, but we've got to do a lot more than £3,000. Um, and importantly then, that that £3,000, or whatever the grant value is, it has to flow through into the business bank account seamlessly. Uh, and that application process and the payment process is literally no delay. Uh, and the local authorities, I'm well aware, have a huge challenge themselves in not being resourced sufficiently to be able to manage this as well. The Scottish government regularly says it has little fiscal flexibility. In fact, Kate Forbes said it last week on, on Question Time. So are there real conversations to be had with the UK government rather than Holyrood? Well, the task force report makes it very clear that it's, it's that there is a responsibility for, for both UK and Scottish governments to work together on this with the industry. But yes, ultimately, you know, the, uh, the the additional monies will need to come from the Treasury. Um, we hear, you hear one day to the next that, yes, that's the, the, the money that's been placed into the Scottish government's bank account for now is, is, is an upfront deposit, so to speak, so they could uh, at least start to manage through. Um, and from week to week, uh, you know, we, we, we've seen slight flex and, and more monies being, you know, announced and made available. The one thing for sure which is on our side is that, you know, Scotland's tourism industry is not alone in this challenge. Our colleagues right across all four nations have exactly the same problem and exactly the same challenges. So it's very much a unified charge to, to um, the, the, the UK government for this support. And, you know, as I say, I said on the, Euro, the UK Industry Tourism Council and, um, you know, rest assured there is representation being made by um, colleagues from UK Hospitality and Beer and Pub Associations at, at London level uh, in this regard. And Nigel Huddleston, the UK Tourism Minister, is extremely receptive to the challenge. Uh, he understands it. Fergus Ewing regularly tells us that he has an excellent relationship with his counterparts. Um, so within this task force report, we're seeking to hold a, a UK summit of, of, of ministers to really make it the case in a much more stronger but uh, well-articulated fashion that they will hopefully go away and come back with a package of support that is much better than what's on the table at the moment.
I listened to an interview recently with the former governor of the Bank of England, Mervyn King, and he was saying that this will take generations to pay back, but the government needs to forget about that for now, just needs to support industry and pay what needs to be paid, and then we'll deal with the problem in a very low-interest environment in the years to come. Is that something that presumably you are right behind? Well, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I think I might have been on the same webinar as you, um, Simon, if, if it was. But I, if, if it wasn't, I've heard Mervyn King say exactly the same. And I've heard many others do the same. And I think you, it, I, if, I, if I recollect, I think he used the analogy with the furlough scheme has been fantastic. But if you don't protect the businesses so that they are then in existence for those individuals who come off furlough to be able to go back into work, it's almost wasted money. Uh, and I know that's a terrible thing to say because it's not wasted money. It's it's given you know a, a lot of support to the day-to-day uh, needs of, of those individuals that have been on furlough. But uh, I, I can't remember. I think it was uh, Gordon Brown or, or one of the, the Labour politicians who said not so long ago they remembered it wasn't that long ago where they just finished paying off the loans for the borrowings of World War Two. So this is going to be a long burn, but. Interest rates are, are almost negative, uh, and the borrowing opportunity is is is, is far far uh, easier today, or certainly well within the grasps of of, of, a, of a of a treasurer of a chancellor. So, I'm not an economist, um, but you know, I'm looking at it as a layman's terms. If you're going to protect your economy and get it back to recovering quickly, so it can then start contributing back into the tax the tax system then you have to do what you can and everything you can uh, in your powers uh, and not delay um, to, to, to keep businesses and individuals uh, in, a, in, a, in a healthy place of, as well as a, a financial stable place. What's the critical timescale here if these recommendations aren't implemented? What's the tipping point? When will it be too late for our industry? Uh, that's quite a broad question. I think there are some businesses that may survive uh, a little longer than others. I mean, and I think we have been and seen some reasonably strong performances of, of, of businesses in certain parts of the country over the, the very short window that we had that benefited. I mean, there's certainly been some of our self-catering operators have done very well, but that's not saying that the rule of six that came into force hadn't sort of knocked them off their track. But, you know, we've already got a third of our sector still closed, um, never actually opened. You've got uh, a pub situation now, um, even in tier three, where the change there that does permit them to to open and operate up to six with no alcohol service for a pub, which is a bit odd. Um, But those that did have maybe a food provision, not all of them do. Wet pubs will certainly, uh, I think, fall away. And we'll see, you know, I think they're forecasting one in in three pubs likely to be gone within the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, as soon as that before Christmas, if there isn't a, an increased support package. Um, hotels, sadly, um, again, we've seen a lot of closure. Um, we've, we're hearing uh, further afield, you know, uh, hotels being mothballed for two years um, and not going to reopen. You know, it's uh, the, the bank, um, as I say, that £20 billion of lending uh, to Scottish businesses, hospitality businesses, has got to be repaid at some point. Uh, and that burden of debt is there. We're hearing as well, I mean, it, it, the scale of uh, of impact. Utility companies um, actually now saying that they are worried and concerned and not prepared to provide utilities to certain businesses because they don't believe that the businesses will be able to maintain 
the uh, the minimum sort of repayment scheme. So that's switching off the lights if ever there was something. You know, if uh, if you can't get a supply of of energy into your property, then uh, lights out. I'm afraid that is. So we've got question marks over the capacity in the in the sector as we go into next year. One of the recommendations of the task force was to fund marketing support to boost visitor demand at the right time. Do you have any idea when that time will be and what you will actually be marketing? What we know from our um, our tour operators and from the great work that Visit Scotland has done, the insights team and the tracking of what you know that recovery is. Is that there is demand from a you know a, a, from a, a good range of uh, market sectors and including the international markets, and it's how we then filter that through. Product, of course, is important. People go to places to be able to do things, and uh, I was on a Welsh government's uh, cross-party group session last week, and um, I was asked a question actually about you know similar questions to the ones you're asking me about protecting businesses. Uh, and, you know, what they need to do. And I'd said, you know, the Welsh have their valleys and they have obviously the wonderful landscapes as well. And we have our lochs and our glens and, you know, the amazing beauty spots that we've got. But people still need and want to come and do stuff. Uh, and our domestic market have been massively supportive of our industry. They've gone out and done lots and lots of things. Um, but if suddenly those things disappear, that then becomes really difficult. So, Part of that marketing strategy of the future will be very much one that needs to target to areas where there is there are things to see and do, and there's great food and drink, um, there is a quality offer, the transport works, the supply chain that feeds those uh, businesses is robust and stable, and you know, but I suppose seasonality is 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 something that I, I sort of tend to disagree with because the industry creates the season by choosing to be open or closed in many respects. But, you know, we look to Easter as that opportunity to really kickstart the sector again. And um, the tourism, the tour operator community who haven't been supported financially are the ones that we are currently working with, amongst others, to make that case to the Scottish government to support them because they are strong advocates. They are the marketeers. They are the facilitators and brokers of so much business that comes our way and feeds into this, the hotels and the, and, and the adventure operators and providers. If that community is allowed to fall away and not be protected, then you know that makes, makes the propositioning of Scotland even harder still. Mark Crothall, as ever, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Simon. It's been great to uh, be with you again. And that's all for this edition of the Skytime Podcast. If you have a story or a business to promote, email simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. Please also get in touch if you'd like to sponsor Skytime or advertise your business on the next podcast. Until then, stay safe. Akiva. Akiva.